0: World. Hello and welcome to the Physics World podcast. I'm Andrew Glester and it's a new year which means that the Earth has completed an orbit of the Sun since this time last year. And although that's always the case at any point in the year, this seems as good a time as any to look forward to what 2018 might have to offer in the world of physics. I made the short trip to the IOP publishing offices here in Bristol to meet with three of the people who will be writing the stories, commissioning the films, and of course helping me make these podcasts that Physics World will put out this year. Liz Callagher is the editor of environmentalresearchweb.org and this year Physics World is bringing you a new environment and energy channel which Liz is the editor of. James Dacey is the multimedia editor which means he produces and commissions all of those wonderful films which you can see on physicsworld.com And although James doesn't normally appear on the podcast, he is very much involved in it. Thanks, James. But the first voice you'll hear is that of Mateen Girani, Physics World's editor. Mateen has written a piece for Physics World's January edition, which sees him gaze into his crystal ball. Every year for the last oof, six
1: or seven years, I've set myself a challenge of trying to predict what will happen in the world of physics. Now, as I always say every year, some things are easy to predict. And the easiest thing to predict in physics is going can happen in astronomy and space science. Because generally you have projects that have been in the planning stages for years. So there's a schedule somewhere which missions are going to launch. And you can go look it up and find out which missions are going to take off. They don't always take off for various reasons, but at least you can say with a fairly high degree of certainty that they will be happening this year. So, I can announce several, astronomy missions for this year, one of which is called Colombo, which is a mission to Mercury. A few years ago there was a mission to Mercury called Messenger that was very successful, this is another one, um, so it's due to launch in October, but it will take about seven years to get to Mercury. So... You'll have to come back in 2025 <laughs> to find out what well, I Does it do anything on the way? The messenger craft, it's a complicated series of flybys, and I think it goes past Venus, and I think this one might do as well. Um, Mercury is the closest planet to the sun that's hot and difficult to get to, and it's got very high magnetic field, and gravity's very weak as well. So that would be interesting, so that'll be take-off. And of course, if you're an astronomer, you're putting all your eggs in one basket, you're hoping that this mission's going to take off, And um, over the years at Physics World we've followed various missions and if you go and follow what's happening in the control centres there are a lot of people very nervous who've put a lot of their lives into this project, whatever it is. So no doubt there'll be some beating hearts next October hoping that the mission takes off and doesn't blow up.
0: Yeah. And is it looking for anything specific when it's there?
1: I think it's going to map the gravitational field of... Mercury, And it's also going to map the magnetic field around Mercury. And another mission that I've been quite interested in following is China going to send a mission to the far side of the moon. Is um, that the
0: first time that would have sent something?
1: The Russians went there, or, well, orbited the far side of the moon in the 50s. Um, and, of course, the far side of the moon we can't see, and we can't see most of it. And um, They went there in the late 50s. Um, this is going to land there. Um, it's been postponed a few times, this Chinese mission, which is called Changi 5. And Changi is a uh, mythical Chinese lunar goddess. It's due to take off middle of the year. It's all a far cry from um, back in the late 70s when China was presented with a gram of lunar soil from Russia, which was then one of the main space nations. And at the time, the, the story goes, the Chinese didn't really have any moon experts. And they got this guy, Professor Yang, who's a geochemist. Um, out from the sticks in China to come and sort of study this lunar material. But of course now they've got a huge programme. And I remember going a few years ago to see uh, Professor Yang in the uh, National Academy of Sciences in China. And got a huge programme. A lot going on. Very, very, very interesting. And um, as with all areas of science and technology, China's really at the forefront.
0: Yeah. It's funny because we don't see an awful lot of it in our mainstream media but because of social media we get to see quite a lot of the the pictures that the Changi missions are sending back there's some stunning imagery of the moon Mm. coming back from
1: them yeah fascinating so so that's my other prediction that that mission may have a high chance of taking off and um, if I'm wrong and it doesn't take off this year no doubt it will happen
0: in the next year because the other thing that we talk about in the future is is mining asteroids (laughs) which
1: um, brings me on to two other missions for this year very nicely. Um, so these are the Japanese Hayabusa two asteroid sample return mission, and the other one is the OSIRIS-REx, which is from NASA. And the first one will take off in July, and the next one in August, and they will take soil back. They hope from an asteroid.
0: They're both doing pretty much the same mission. Is that because there isn't as much collaboration between space-faring nations as I would hope? Or is it a mission that needs to be done twice?
1: I don't know. I think, you know, every country has to have a certain amount of rivalry. You know, it encourages innovation when you have other people competing to get to do something. And that spurs innovation, the fact that you want to get there first. Um, So I think in all areas of science there's a balance between competition driving innovation but also collaboration so that you don't end up wasting time doing something that someone else has done before.
0: I was doing an event recently at the Planetarium here in Bristol at the Science Centre, recently renamed We the Curious, and I spoke to one of the presenters there, Antonia Forster, who was also excited about one of those missions.
2: So, in... About August, I think this year, um, there's a probe called Osiris Rex, and that's been sent. I think it was launched in uh, September 2016, so it should arrive August this year. Um, it's a long journey, and it's going to an asteroid in the asteroid belt called uh, basically a really long number and then the word Bennu. You can just call it Bennu for short, <laughs> or Ben, I guess, or Bennu. Uh, and Bennu is a C-type asteroid, so it's made mostly of carbon, and it's a sample-return mission, so it's going to take a piece of. Uh, Uh, of the asteroid and then come back and it should come back in about 2020 Uh, and it'll be the first US um, probe to do a sample return on an asteroid and that should teach us more about the formation of the solar system so I'm looking forward to to that arrival
0: yeah no awesome (laughs) do you think you'll be doing stuff in the planetarium about
2: that? yeah definitely we've actually got a 3D model of that um, satellite um, and also of Bennu the asteroid so we do show that in some of the shows so in August definitely I'm going to be letting people know that this is really happening Uh, when Cassini burned up in September last year um, I did a lot about that in one of my shows. Yeah. I really bigged it up for yeah. like, cause I like talking about topical things. Uh, and I had a little child say to her dad, Daddy, did it die? I <laughs> felt really bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of, yes. Yeah. But, you know, it was a good mission as well. So, yeah, we like to be really topical uh, and on point. Yeah. I, th- I think quite a
0: few of us shed a tear when Cassini crashed
2: Yeah, I mean, it had. if you haven't looked up the imagery that it produced, uh, to anyone listening, I really recommend you do it. It had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of really gorgeous photos. I know I'm biased because I'm a space geek, but mm. genuinely really beautiful photographs, as well as, you know, lots of very important data as well.
0: As Mateen said, astronomy and space related missions are relatively easy to predict as they're planned well in advance. But let's go back to his crystal ball to see what else he can find.
1: In other areas of physics, we've been very interested in following the huge advance in quantum technology, and there were a lot of investment in various small startups that symbolise how much progress has been made in taking weird quantum mechanic ideas into real products in terms of quantum cryptography, quantum computing. So I think more news on that over the next 12 months. Um, in fundamental physics we were very interested last year to follow the debate about whether liquid metallic hydrogen had been made and that was quite controversial, no doubt there'll be more rumblings on that um, this year. Um, and apart from that you know, the beauty of physics is there's always so much going on that comes unexpectedly, particularly in small-scale research in condensed matter materials that you just can't foresee what what breakthroughs will happen, and those tend to be the smaller teams doing work um, that's harder to predict because it's scattered among various different labs all over the world. And in, published in thousands of research papers, so you know we'll be following those over the year. Um, the Large Hadron Collider at CERN is off for maintenance at the moment. That's going to turn back on in May. I mean, they haven't actually found concrete evidence of physics beyond the Standard Model, which is disappointing for some people. Um, but they're certainly getting lots of data about the Higgs boson, which is.
0: But it's okay if the standard model's right, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But I think a lot of people have on their bucket list weird physics, and that's part of the reason why they built the LHC, was to
0: look for that new physics. Professor Dave Newbold is the head of astronomy and particle physics at the University of Bristol, and has been working on LHC experiments for over 20 years. I began by asking him whether the LHC had changed physics.
3: Physics that you see every day around you, and perhaps even in the undergraduate laboratory, hasn't changed, but we've certainly changed our understanding of how the universe works. Uh, and to some extent, you know, the LHC has two missions, and the first mission was to confirm the existence of the Higgs boson, and that's in some sense physics that was understood in back in the 1960s, but it, but it hasn't been confirmed until now. So if you imagine this as the last piece in the physics jigsaw, you know, we now have a lovely picture where everything fits together. The things that Higgs and his collaborators uh, did in the 1960s are confirmed and so on. Um, the only slight problem is we know that at some point all of that stops working. Our mathematical description of nature is just, just nonsense right, mm-hmm. at, at some profound level. So So now the really exciting stuff starts so... Whereas the LHC was a sort of confirmation exercise before, now we're really heading into the unknown. So you're probably going to ask me, what is going to happen at the LHC next year? And the answer is, I have no idea. (laughs) None at all. (laughs) Because it's a discovery machine, uh, and there are many, many possibilities. There are many ideas about what kind of new physics might exist. Um, For instance, whether we can explain dark matter. But actually, we have no more idea than anybody else which of those ideas is correct, or none of them, or more than one of them, and we're going to find out. So we're really now experimenting in the uh, the fullest sense of the word.
0: You're literally just going to fire particles at each other and see what happens.
3: We're going to fire particles at each other and see what happens. There's there's slightly more to it than that. But more or less, yeah. And and doing experiments at the LHC is uh, a difficult business, because what you're looking for are statistical signatures of new physics. So there's no one collision that's going to tell you anything on its own. What you have to do is amass a huge amount of data. People talk about big data. This this is really big. Uh, And then you have to look at the properties of collections of these collisions. So this is why it takes so long. So uh, by the time we get to the end of this run of the LHC, we will be putting together data from two, three, four, five years all together and analysing the whole selection of data. And that gives us more and more sensitivity every year to the things we're looking for. But it's not a discovery that's going to get made overnight, for sure.
0: Is it being turned back on at the same kind of energy that it was before?
3: Yep. So at the moment, we're in what we call physics production mode, which sounds boring, but actually is kind of scary in many ways. Um, So the emphasis at the moment is not to keep pushing up the energy or the intensity of the LHC, um, but instead to ensure stable running. So we want the maximum number of collisions per year for the reasons I've, I've described, which is that everything is based on statistics. So, what's been happening over the winter shutdown is that there have been no radical changes made to the accelerator, no radical changes made to the experiments. Um, but we've improved everything. It's small tweaks, it's about maintenance, it's about making sure everything operates correctly because this is the most complicated machine in the world. It mm. seems simple when you see it on the television but actually it's, it's amazingly complicated. Everything has to work.
0: So if I asked you what you'd like to see in 2018 you'd say some of that exciting new physics. Absolutely
3: I, I'd like to see, um, I think it's unlikely in 2018 we're going to make a revolutionary discovery um, because one has to build up the evidence for these things. It's not going to happen overnight. But 2018 of the year where we start to see real concrete hints of something which either has been predicted and is beyond the standard model or is completely unexpected and they could come from anywhere there are hundreds of different analyses going on in these experiments and you've no idea which one is going to pop up next and give you something interesting Uh, we're looking in all the nooks and crannies now so I think 2018 uh, certainly Towards the end of this year, have a look at what's coming out at the conferences. Could be some exciting new
0: results. Another exciting development in, we hope, early 2018 is the new Physics World website. Here's Liz Callagher, James Dacey and Mateen Girani again. For the last year, or even longer, (laughs) a a crack
1: team has been redeveloping our website. So regular listeners who use our website will know it's creaking at the seams. And a lot of effort and money has been spent on... Building a wonderful new website with a lot of work going on them behind the scenes to create a content management system and creating new technology. But it's been more than just that. Um, IP Publishing, which publishes Physics World, has a number of other community websites which we're bringing under the banner of Physics World. Uh, so we have community websites on environmental science, nanotechnology, and medical physics, and they'll be brought
4: under the Physics World banner. It means we're expanding our content and effectively getting more journalists into the team so more content coming your way
0: listeners (laughs) (laughs) and is it going to be um, a more multimedia friendly website James?
4: I mean I I hope so I I think that sort of by bringing in these, these different areas it's kind of new opportunities so for example with the environmental side of things I mean that's I think intrinsically it's a very kind of visual field you know people are out doing research into very visual things very interesting things things that you know, have, have a connection with the real world and you know, it's issues that people are familiar with so I think that, that kind of stuff lends itself to good multimedia stories, and good videos and, and podcasts yeah. <laughs> One <by the> podcast. <laughs>
5: and I think it's interesting with the environmental field because the environmental researchers are more used to having public interest in their work so they're more used to talking to the media And they're great at providing soundbites.
0: That would be good for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Also, for me, I think, you know,
1: to have that core physics audience seeing some of the issues in environmental science showcases what physicists can contribute to those fields that they may not be so familiar with. And equally, you know, the environmental research audience um, that we have at the moment may also see interesting things going on in the rest of physics that they might find useful or might spark new thoughts or new ways of thinking.
5: Yeah, and as we're talking about the future, I'll plug an article we have coming up, which is about physicists who become environmental researchers. Oh, okay. So that will be, hopefully, of interest to all physicists. <laughs> is
4: that, are there that quite a few of those? We've interviewed three, but there are quite a few. Huh? Yeah. So is so a physicists who have completely changed what they're doing, or are they kind of applying their physics to environmental issues?
5: But bit of both. It's people who have maybe moved into renewable energy or who've moved into climate using their background in physics to model weather and future climate. A real mix. Yeah. Do you know
0: when the website will be ready?
1: It'll be in the next few months, Andrew. Okay. I don't want to be any more definite than that and make myself hostage to fortune, but um, encourage everyone to keep checking in and... Yeah.
0: Keep refreshing, <laughs>
5: <laughs> and it'll be worth the wait.
0: Yeah, and you've just been to New Orleans, haven't
4: you? We have indeed. Yeah. So there was uh, a big conference there, AGU Falls. So it's a big, it's it's the world's biggest geoscience conference. Uh, so I think it's about twenty four and a half thousand people descended on the city. Basically, they're they're covering you know everything from oceans to climate science to even even sort of beyond the Earth, looking at geology on different planets and I was actually doing some filming sort of around the event saying obviously New Orleans has suffered in recent years with floodings, sort of most notably Katrina in yeah. 2005. The issue there, the tragedy and the, sort of the failings at all levels has been pretty well documented uh, but there's quite a lot of work now to basically make the city more resilient to flooding. So they, they've kind of accepted that you know, we're living with water, it's pretty wet here, there's no way around that. Um, so I did some filming, uh, particularly in one district, it's called Gentilly, it's, it's quite an interesting project where you've got a bunch of scientists and engineers who are working with local residents there, who are kind of identifying risk areas, for example, in the neighbourhood, or they're doing things like checking rain gauges each day, and they're kind of using that data to then inform sort of planning policy to try and... Yeah, basically make it a bit safer.
0: The film that James will produce from his trip to New Orleans will be one of a new series of films looking at environmental challenges. The first one's coming out
4: soon, so that's been produced by one of our regular freelancers, uh, Lucina Malesio. So she's uh, based in Mexico City and she's looking at the kind of relationship there between tectonics and water supply. The city there is kind of built on this ancient uh, lake bed, which... There's been lots written about how that kind of intensifies earthquakes. The city is sinking slightly, so that causes lots of leaks with the water. So it's difficult, and given that the population is so large there, it's difficult to actually supply everybody with fresh water every day. There's one crazy idea, which is basically there's a big volcano south of the city. So looking at using that as a sort of source of energy to pump water from the valley of Mexico all the way into the city. It's <laughs> Massive engineering project, which you know may, may or may not happen at some point, but it's a fascinating idea either way.
0: It's a new year, and I'd like to know what you three are most excited about, science-wise, in the
5: year ahead. So I'm excited, perhaps not about some of the science itself, but some of the application of the earlier science we've developed. So renewable energy, such as wind turbines and solar energy, actually, that's being used out there the costs are coming down and that's very promising because that's reducing carbon emissions or helping slow their increase and that's something that the climate change science is showing us that we need to do urgently we need to get the carbon emissions to decrease by 2020 or those 1.5 2 degrees celsius temperature rise targets are uh, looking unachievable so i'm excited that renewable energy is becoming cheaper but will it have an impact? I think it will have an impact whether it will have an impact fast enough as policy measures currently stand remains to be seen, there are a lot of people hoping that it will and working towards that but there are other factors on the wider political stage and subsidies and so on that are working against it So, mm. I think
4: one of the big technology challenges is um, the fact that I guess with fossil fuels, it's it, it's quite easy to produce a steady amount of energy for supplies, isn't it? Whereas with renewables, it's sometimes it's sort of feast or famine, isn't it? Where you know when, when there's lots of sun, you produce, generate a lot of electricity. So one of the challenges is to work out a way of storing, you know, the excess when, when the sun is shining or when the wind is blowing. So there's a lot of research going into, you know, into these you know, giant lithium-ion batteries. Tied in with that, I'm interested to see you know, following on from the March for Science. I mean, I guess it's it's looking forward is maybe the the wrong word, but it'd be interesting to see whether that sort of movement actually becomes a sort of broader movement where scientists become a bit more politically active and a bit more outspoken about, you know, what's going on in the world and without sort of referring to (laughs) specific um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) nations Mm -hmm. and governments. Yeah, I think... You know, everyone, everyone knows it's quite, quite a difficult time at the moment for reason and logic, and um, you know sort of scientists securing funding for their research. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether that you know, that was the peak, whether that march for science was it, and that's, the scientists will sort of quietly sit down and just accept what's going on, or whether you know that will become the more united international movement. Another thing to do with politics is, first of all, in the UK
1: Brexit having a big impact on. Researchers who have traditionally relied on money from European programmes, the Horizon 2020 programme. Britain has been really successful in getting grants from that. Um, that money potentially may stop once Britain leaves the EU in next year and the countries agree to um, make good its contribution to the end of 2020, but who knows what the relationship will be after that. And to me, it would be a real shame if Britain doesn't take part in that Horizon programme. It seems madness not to. So hopefully politicians can come to some sort of sensible arrangement for British researchers to continue in that programme. More worrying is um, European researchers who've, through freedom of movement, have been able to settle in the UK. Something like a quarter of All Academic Staff in physics departments in the UK are EU citizens. So there's still question marks about what their long-term status is, and that's worrying. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in the US, Donald Trump still hasn't appointed a presidential science advisor. Um... And traditionally, that's been an appointment that presidents have made quite quickly after taking office. So again, that's worrying. There could be some scientific catastrophe or disaster that happens this year that we don't know how to deal with it, and he won't know how to deal with it because he hasn't got someone to turn to Mm. um, for impartial advice.
0: Okay, we'll see how that goes.
1: And I think following on from last year when we had some really exciting discoveries in astronomy and cosmology with the the observation of two colliding neutron stars I I expect more fascinating stuff from the LIGO observatories and the Virgo observatory Um, the Japanese where I went in November are building their own gravitational wave detector Kagura Um, so that's another sign of people taking real interest in gravitational waves and of course for years we were waiting for the discovery of gravitational waves and now we've seen five or six signals so (laughs) Um, that's all becoming quite commonplace now. But the observation of the neutron stars colliding was really fascinating. And I think also as journalists, we're, we're quite aware that those big teams kind of want to make sure that the data is really accurate before they release it. So there's always this sort of cat and mouse thing that you start hearing rumours. And as journalists, we're quite intrigued. So that adds a sort of extra spice to following those results because you want to sort of find out what's going on. Without being um, privy to the public release data, um, so trying to find out what you can from your own sources, and so I expect more things from that. There's possibility they might even see signal from a supernova, but. Um, I'm no expert in that field. I'll just be following it and hopefully lots of interesting stuff. Gravitational waves, colliding neutron stars, supernovae, all that kind of stuff. Looking forward to that. Yeah, the other thing, later in the year we always keep an eye out is the Nobel Prize for Physics. Um, One thing I can be pretty sure about is that it unfortunately won't be a woman. And there's only ever been two women who've won the Nobel Prize for Physics, and they are Marie Curie, who also won the Chemistry Prize, and Marie Guppert-Meyer. But since... Maria gopin won it in 1959 there's been no female physicist who's won that prize mm. now I don't know whether it's because not enough women are being nominated whether there are not enough women doing good work out there whether the committee is riddled with bias I'm not saying they are but they might be um, but you know it's a secession of men over the last 60-70 years so let's hope maybe a woman will win it um, So, but I'm pretty confident it won't happen
4: unfortunately well, if it were to go to a woman, are there any
1: contenders? Well, recently there was um, Deborah Jin who did a lot of really fascinating work on cold atoms. Unfortunately, she died a few years ago and um, she was always, a, among the Physics World team, one of our front runners to win it. Um, but you can't award the Nobel Prize to someone who's died, unfortunately.
0: Because there's also, in recent years, it has been major discoveries.
5: It's interesting, a few years ago, the IPCC won the Peace Prize. And that obviously was a big group, big collaboration, and there were women on that report.
4: I mean, it's, it's a reason why the physics prize has to stick to this slightly old-fashioned view of you know, all this work being done by one or two people. I don't, I don't really understand, because that like doesn't really reflect how science has done that. Mm. It's a bit artificial.
1: I mean, it does mean, for example... Um, with the award last year's Nobel Prize to the people, but the people behind the LIGO and Virgo projects who detected gravitational waves. Of course, then it went to the the, the big shots behind the project who were men who did um, pioneering work in the 70s. And then you get yes into the whole thing about well, who gets promoted to lead organisations, who gets promoted to lead collaborations or manage a project, and then there may be biases towards men in those projects or the work that. We're seeing fruit from now is the roots are from many years ago, so it'll take a while for women who are currently doing good work to have it recognized. So maybe it's just a case of waiting and waiting a few
0: more years and things will change. It is an extraordinary statistic. One percent of Nobel laureates in physics are women. To put that in context, it's also 1.3 percent for economics. for chemistry, 5.7% for medicine, 12.4% for literature, and only 15.4% for peace. I dare say there are a number of factors that are causing that, but it's more than a little shocking. The good news is that the world keeps spinning and is still orbiting the sun as it was yesterday and will be tomorrow. So maybe at some point in that orbit, those statistics will start to balance out. Personally, I think there's a huge amount to look forward to in physics this year, starting with SpaceX's Falcon Heavy rocket, which will soon launch with a rather eccentric payload. According to Elon Musk, this 70-metre rocket, the most powerful in the world by a factor of two, will take a cherry-red Tesla Roadster into space, doing a flyby of Mars with Space Oddity playing on the radio and a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in the glove compartment. It seemed like an extraordinary claim from Elon Musk and he then told supporters that he'd made the whole thing up. But then SpaceX released pictures of the car being prepped for launch. It's hard to know what to believe. So 2018 continues just like 2017 before with blurred lines between what's true and what's fake news. What I do know is that the Falcon Heavy will launch this year. Quite possibly early this year, and we'll be launching some amazing science into space in the years to come. Whether there's a car in space by the time Earth reaches this point in our orbit of the Sun again remains to be seen. And the other thing I know for sure is that we'll be back next month. Thanks to everyone for talking to me for this episode, and thank you so much for listening.
4: Physics World